This is the Edify Podcast for the servant. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to your to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We're going to shift the gears from awakening people and awakening in, in particular um, sinners and preaching to awaken them. But also, in, let's talk about the emphasis in awakening preachers. When John said what he said, he went on uh, to be asked by the people, what shall we do then? And so what does he say? He answers them there, he who has two tunics, let him give to the one who has none. Who has food, let him do likewise. Tax collectors. Uh, they came to be baptized. What did he say to them? Teach, they, they asked the question, Teacher, what, what should we do? What does he say? Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Uh, the Roman soldier asked the same question. What do we do? Now that you've awakened us to our sin, what is the response? What should we do in return? And he says, Don't intimidate anybody falsely. Um, don't accuse falsely. Be content with what you are given by uh, the local government. So, as people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. Uh, and, and he would go on to say about Jesus and his baptism. And, 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 the, and it also says there at the end of verse 18 that with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. Last episode, we talked about the place of preparation in evangelistic preaching. We saw how John uh, the Immerser is a great example in this. So, But our concern and focus for today's episode, this good Tuesday morning, uh, is to look at some of the points of emphasis in his preaching. So if you want to, want to take a note or, or jot down, the first thing is to consider is that John sought to expose and confront the sinfulness of his hearers. John preaches against sin. He sought to show people their sin. And this is clear on the surface of the passage in Luke 3 that we just kind of look through. And I would say go through that again and make some notes and highlight and use your, uh, use your, um, you know, your, your pens to go through and, and deduce and draw and, and just get, get tangible with your scripture. And so it's clear on the surface that that's what he's doing. And it's implied in the fact that he preached repentance. I mean, repentance, a change of mind, which leads to a change of action. Calling men to repent and turn from their sins involves showing them that they are in sin. Um, preaching the law of Christ, exposing their sins, seeking to help them um, to see to see and honestly face their sinful state, their condition. Not fake it till you make it, but face it till you make it. In verses 11 through 14, you've got John getting very specific with him. He puts his finger directly on certain sins the people were guilty of. The people in general first, you know, then the tax collectors, then the soldiers. He didn't preach to the choir. These are people who come to him and ask of him. Be no different if you have a session or a counseling session, first level counseling with a brother or sister or a person who is lost. And they say, okay, well, tell me about my sins. What What is this? Is this sinful? Is this what I did? He didn't preach against all the idols of the heathen out there somewhere, the Gentile dogs, the abortionists, transgenders, and so on. And uh, while everybody else said amen, you know, those amen corners that we have on Sunday morning in the corporate worship of the church, he confronted those sins that tended to characterize his hearers, the greed of the people, 
cheating and dishonesty of the tax collectors, bullying tactics and discontented complaining of the soldiers. He was specific in his applications. If you're going to discuss a sin that a person has made known to you, don't do that without their knowing. Don't do that without their asking. And certainly don't lay them out there and say, oh, by the way, sister so-and-so is guilty of gambling. She gambled $15,000 last last week um, in one in one trip to the uh, the casino. I mean, a casino, that's it, not casino. Casino, casino, same thing. And uh, and and she's guilty of that. Let's talk about the sin of gambling today. Okay, that's <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But if you're having a conversation with Sister Sally and she has gambled fifteen grand last week of her retirement away at the casino down there, and um, we're going to talk about um, those issues, you're going to you want to ask her and say, "Hey, there may be others who are struggling with this. Can we discuss this? Can we talk about this? Can we go through this together?" And she says, "Yes, that's fine." And, and you say, "Well, I'm not going to give your name out there. I'm not going to blast you per se. I'm not going to do any of that sort of thing. But I'm going to talk about how uh, the whole church needs to hear about this sin and." and how it's dangerous, and the dangers of this sin. There's ways about doing that and being very specific and allowing your members to know how specific you're going to be. Faithful preaching for conversions has to include this element of preaching the law of Jesus Christ, the law of grace, the law of Christ, the law of the Spirit, as it's often called uh, in the New Testament, and, and exposing sin. So you and I, as human beings, and we have this individualistic, naturalistic self-love um we don't like to think of ourselves as being hell deserving sinners nobody wants to hear that but something i kept preaching this past sunday over and over and over and over see the good news is not good news until you have horrible news the the good news of jesus is not really 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 that good unless you realize how horrible your situation is See, the heart of every man is adept at constructing some sort of protective wall around him. We justify what we do. We make excuses and excuses uh, all around our conscience. And we say, well, we, we, we were deserving of this, or, well, I was led to this, or this, that, and the other. Our hearts are willfully ignorant. <laughs> we do that on purpose. And and it's very true of, of our nature as individuals, and, and that's why we need something of supernatural uh, or above natural law to govern us, which is God's law. It's divine. It's supernatural. I know when we hear the term supernatural, we think of ghosts and goblins and hoodoo and voodoo, but that's not what we're talking about. Something that is above our natural state, we have to have something from God to give us to save us. So a part of faithful preaching is to, is the task to seek to break through the blindness of all those that are hearing, and first yourself, don't forget that, but to open the eye of the sinner and his sinfulness and the danger in which he currently is in, whether he knows it or not. You're a doctor, and you're giving a cancer diagnosis to a person who does not know that they have cancer, and it's going to kill them. The only the only one who can do this is the Holy Spirit. He does this. He does this through the means of preaching, through the means of taught faith. Christianity is a learned religion. Romans ten seventeen, hearing the faith of God comes from the Word of God and only through the Word of God. It's how the Holy Spirit does it. And preaching that exposes sin and seeks to show people their true condition is that means by which he does that. Most people are going 
to be willing to admit they're going to say, well, I'm not a perfect person, and that, yeah, I sin sometimes, but but they also believe that, but as a whole, I'm good. I mean, it's like the leper, you know, he, he doesn't come to Jesus in Luke 5, is what I preached this past Sunday, and he says, you know, I've got a little bit of leprosy, but as, as a whole, I mean, realistically, as a whole, I'm okay. No, he has something that is going to kill him. He's going to kill him. But you're going to hear people say things like, um, you know, with all the really bad people in the world, the Hitlers and the rapists and the murderers and the baby killers and those people who use plastic paper straws, those evil individuals, uh, they, they, you know, or, or people who eat processed foods or, or whatever, uh, you know, in, 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 all, in all reality and the fairness of God, I'm going to be okay. You know, surely he's going to let me, me, an individual who's good, into heaven. I mean, that's, that's just going to, surely he's going to do that. So what people do is they will compare themselves to other people. They'll contrast their good deeds to the other deeds of, of evil people, you know. But they'll also compare their own good deeds to their own bad deeds, and they have a kind of scale in their mind where good deeds are on one end and, and at the other end is the bad deeds. And so in their opinion, they, they do a whole lot more good, and, you know, their their good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, and, and they're okay. They think they're okay. So we have to show people the standard by which God judges us. It's not by other people. It's not by our opinions of what is good or what is bad. God's standard is his holy law. When you place yourself up, up beside Jesus and you, you present yourself beside Jesus and you, you put your life up beside Jesus, you're going to see very quickly, I'm not holy. I'm not holy. When I'm left alone, I'm completely unholy. So we have to show that the, that sin is not just a matter of actions. God will hold you accountable for every word that you've ever spoken, every word of gossip, every unkind word, every every time you've tried to make yourself look better by putting someone else down, every time you've fudged the truth, every lie. Those things are bad, and we will be held accountable to those things, and we will give an answer for those things if we are not purged by the blood of Jesus. You have to help people understand that. But once we've been purged, God forgets and removes those things. And we will not be held, quote, accountable. And I will not give an answer of judgment, of damnation, because of things that I have done. When Satan, uh, just imagine it's a courtroom scene. There's Jesus, my intercessor, uh, my mediator, the one, the go-between between me and God. Jesus is my lawyer in this courtroom. And Satan is on the other side, and he's called the accuser for that reason because he's hurling all the things that I have that I have done. And my sin is is damning. But Jesus enters the room as my lawyer and says, Father, he has forgiven his pardon. I have taken his punishment, and I will be in heaven only because Jesus says I can be here. <laughs> That's the reality. So God sees everything, every secret thought, every lust, envy, anger, pride, greed, selfish, uh, every sort of impurity. So we have to help people see that. We've got to help them see the gravity of their sin and folks will often admit that they sin, but they don't see the seriousness of the evil of their sin. So how do you measure the seriousness of sin? So the gravity of sin is partly measured by the worthiness and importance of, I guess, um, the being we sin against. So let's say you have a pet dog. I've had, let's go with my first pet, my first dog. Um, a little old brown and white little dog with pointy ears. His name was uh, Mr. T. Okay, you got Mr. T, you got Mr. T, uh, Mr. T, and um, and I come over to visit you at your house, and while I'm there, I've got my dog, but you decide to spit on my dog, <laughs> you decide to kick my dog, would that deserve punishment? 
would you would you feel as though that punishment is due you? And my dog's not done nothing, but you've done that. Uh, what would you do if if I completely unprovoked kicked your mother, spit spit in your mother's face? What what if you kicked your mother? What if you spit in her face? And I think you're going to agree that that this would be much more wrong. If it was a dog, we would say, well, that's bad. But if it was somebody's mama, you don't go there. You know, we don't do the, the mama jokes around here. Why? Because we have this inherent sense of of behavior and that that kind of behavior is much more heinous than just, you know, kicking a dog. Um, is it not because your mother is more um, valuable than your dog? Is it not that you're that she's more worthy, that she's more deserving of respect? She's a human being. She's created in the image of God, the one who gave birth to to to, to you or, or my mama to me and they they nursed us and they took care of us and so on. But now let's climb the scale of being as it were. Uh, what does sins against God deserve? How how great is God's value or worth? How worthy is God of our respect? How worthy of God is our love? How great is our dependence upon Him? Our obligation to honor and to obey. He He's a being of infinite value and worth. Our obligation to Him is beyond measure. He is your creator. He keeps you and he keeps me breathing. He keeps our hearts beating at this very moment. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Is this not one reason scripture teaches us that when it comes to sin against God, justice demands an equal punishment? See, our preaching should also show people that that apart from union with Christ, all they ever do is sin. Romans 3 and verse 12 Paul steps into the shoes of a Jew, makes the statement, there is none who does good, no, not one. Somebody said, well, how can that be? I, I've done a whole lot of good things. I don't know, I, I, I know people who make no claims of being Christian who, who do good things. So in yes, in one sense, some things that they do are good, and it's a part of God's providential plan and showing his goodness to all of man. But it's also true that there are degrees of wickedness. You know, all, all are, are not as bad as they can possibly be. And there is indeed a kind of good that men do, even even men who are not reborn. When an adult child takes care of their aging parent or a person brings a meal to a neighbor who's had a death in the family, these are good things. And it's good moral things. And, rea- and realistically, that good comes from God, whether they know it or not. A father works hard to provide for his children. Or, or children are kind to their mother, or when, or when a when a soldier heroically throws himself on a landmine to protect his platoon. These are all good things in the realm of human relations, and we should encourage these kinds of things, and show our appreciation for the people who do those things. But at the same time, none of these things are truly good in the way that pleases God. If we are not in Christ Jesus, we are placed into Christ, and His righteousness, in some sense, becomes our righteousness. Now, it's not alone, not in his righteousness alone, as we often sing, dressed in his righteousness alone, because we're often told that the righteousness of the saints goes up as a sweet-smelling savor to God, that we are a part now cleansed, and now we can offer acceptable worship. We can, we can participate in, in righteousness that is pleasing to God. Sin is, is a condition, realistically. It's an action of a person who is outside of Jesus Christ. It's a condition of the heart, particularly with, with reference to your relationship to God, who, who has made you. If you're outside of Christ, you're an enemy to God. And that's a hard thing for people to understand. None, no good deeds are truly pleasing to God if it's outside of his son because he will not deny his son. See, there's a protection there. 
God is not going to deny his son his sacrifice, and therefore God is not a respecter of persons outside of his son. He's not going to do that. There was a, a theologian, 19th century, Andrew Fuller. He once illustrated this by comparing men um, in what's often called a natural state to a band of sailors who've, who've mutinied against their officers. They put their officers in chains and take command of the ship for themselves. Imagine that on the ship, these mutineers have, have a strict moral code. They don't lie to one another or steal from one another. That they're going to take care of each other. They sacrifice for one another and maybe even perhaps have religious services. Even though they do many great things in this relationship to one another uh, that could be called good, there is this flaw in all their goodness. All their, quote, goodness is in fact uh, but so many self-serving expedients by which they maintain themselves in their lives and in their mutiny against their rightful officers. They they have this moral code, but realistically, they have enchained the ones that are to be over them. It's defiled. It's corrupted. It's not really good. So it is with everyone who is not reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. All All their righteousness is corrupted. It's defiled, and it cannot save them. There is something withstanding, and it is that their submission to the one who is over them. We have to help people see this. Edward Donnelly, uh, maybe a better illustration is is this one. He described a, a husband who comes home from work with an expensive and beautiful bouquet of flowers for his wife in remembrance of their anniversary. She places him in a vase in a living room, and, and every day, whether, whenever she goes through there, she looks at the flowers, she smiles, she feels joy inside, yada, 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 husband's love, blah, blah, blah. But another husband does the same thing for his wife on their anniversary. These flowers are placed in a vase in the living room, but every time this wife walks by and sees the flowers, she's grieved, and she's even, even angry on the inside. Why? What's the difference? There's no difference in the act. Both husbands did the same thing for their wives. So why is the one wife so sad and even angry when she looks at the flowers of her husband? Because unknown to him, this wife has discovered that he's having an affair with another woman. Yes, he gave her beautiful large, expensive bouquet of flowers, but she knows that it's all just a part of an attempt to deceive her, to make her think that all is well and that he truly loves her when she knows he really doesn't. He loves another woman. Both husbands gave the same gift to their wives on flower, for flowers on, on anniversary, but their motivations for doing it were entirely different. One of the husbands didn't do it because he sincerely loved his wife, while the other one did. Fellas, in our preaching, we have to help people see that it's not enough to look merely at actions. There is the whole matter of, of the reasons and motivations for those actions, as well as our attitude toward God, our relationship to Him. For a work to be truly good and holy work, it must involve at least three things three things. I want to give these to you. It must proceed from a right heart, a right in view, and it must be according to the right rule. Let's talk about the first one, the right heart. A right heart is a believing heart that loves and treasures God above all things. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please him that is God. And what did Jesus say is, is the great commandment on which all the other commandments hang? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Anything less than this is sin. There must be a right heart. Also, there has to be a right in view. 
there's a whole question of why a person does what they do and motives of heart. A person may have in view many legitimate ends in anything he or she does. There, there are many motives to which even the Word of God appeals. But the ultimate and essential motive that must underline everything that you do, Jake Sutton, is the desire to glorify God and to enjoy Him. What is the chief end of man? What would you say? What what did Solomon say? What's at the end of life, at the end view that we need to have, biblically speaking, what is it? Fear God, keep his commandments, do all things to the glory of him. Thirdly, it must be in the conformity uh, to a right rule. And the only right rule is not human opinion, but God's word, by, by which he expresses his will for his creatures. We have to show people that when anything a man does by nature is viewed in light of these standards, a right heart, a right motive, and a right rule, there, there is the total absence of any goodness in man acceptable to God. Even your best virtues are nothing but splendid sins in God's sight. Proverbs 21 and verse 4, The plowing of the wicked is sin. There's a sense in which you never do anything else but sin because your best deeds are done without any genuine respect to God's glory and without any real love for true for the true God as he has revealed in the true Bible. This is the first characteristic of John's preaching for conversion. He sought to expose the sinful condition of his hearers. I want to stop there. We're going to release probably two um Maybe three this week. I want to. I want to kind of get into, you know, John warn people and you know John um, exposing you know false and self deceptive hopes. I want to get into a few things this week. Um, may release two or three. Probably will. But I just wanted to hinge on that. When when we're awakening people and we're, we're there's an emphasis in awakening preaching, we have to awaken people to specific sins and to help them see that anything that they do outside of Christ Jesus is wrong. And in some ways, it's very, it's, it, it can be seen as, as sin or, or maybe in a sinful light, that it is as the, the mutiny sailors have locked up in chains the ones that are over them. Everything that they do is realistically is vanity. There's nothing good about it. It's emptiness at best. But with a wrong heart, it becomes sin. With the wrong motives, it becomes sin. With the wrong view, it becomes sin. So let's think about these things this week. I, I know Sunday's coming. It's coming for all of us. Here, this is Tuesday, and um, but but let's let's shoot for Wednesday and Thursday. Release a few more, uh, and and really talk about this awakening preaching thing that we need to be about, and to help people really see it. Um, so may God bless you in your awakening of people, exposing their sins, and helping them to understand anything they do outside of Jesus Christ is really futile. May God bless you, and God be with you.